we can get started now talking about the potentiator and maybe i should step back a bit here and say yeah so the last episode we talked about the magician the matrix of mind and Ra had suggested putting a lot of time studying in every single image of the major arcana of the tarot to understand the the purified meaning and have a have a stronger sense that will just come to you when you think of that card you'll you'll set you have a sense of every single component of that image as the it's a complex of concepts and so as we study this hopefully we can get a stronger resonance in our in our deeper understanding that we can pull from when we're trying to work with these concepts but unfortunately don spent the most time uh discussing the first seven so we're covering the first seven in greater detail we might not be able to cover the remainder in as, as much detail because don and raw didn't go into that much detail so we have to kind of guess at what they meant um but at this point we have a lot to dig into now with the potentiator discussion at least which is the high priestess and which symbolizes the unconscious mind or the intuitive mind and within that is the feminine or the divine feminine as it's a it's a female on the image i can actually pull that up right now so so this is the the image that we're looking at today the high priestess this is the closest to i believe is available on the internet for the original relatively close to the original uh images that don was working from from the cc zane book on the subject and and then this was the redrawn version that the research team used or, or created after getting some advice from Ra on what was maybe unnecessary, the astrological related elements. And they redrew also this image in the center, which I don't know what you would even call that, but they made it the the crux ansata, uh, the more traditional image, which they do describe the symbolism and the, the nature of the symbol with the circle and the the straight lines below it. Is representing the union of the the infinite and the finite or the the material and the you know the the timeless natures of, of realities coming together at that center point in that symbol um so but before we dive into the specifics of the images we could we could probably get started reading about um just exactly how don approached this and we i think we could just go in order with the sessions um and if certainly there was some discussion of the nature of the tree of mind and the nature of the, the the deep mind and the unconscious and the roots of the tree of mind which are all connected to this discussion of the potentiator of mind which represents the unconscious mind and the deeper aspects of the mind um, but i think it started here in the discussion of the high priestess in session, session 78 when don asked would the archetype that has been called the high priestess which represents the intuition be properly the second of the archetypes where i said this is correct you see here the recapitulation of the beginning knowledge of this logos that is matrix and potentiator so here they're saying that this was something that the logos knew from the very beginning that this was going to be a very useful tool for evolution to have the matrix and the potentiator together and the unconscious is indeed what may be poetically described as high priestess or it is the potentiator of the mind and as potentiator for the mind is that principle which potentiates all experience and the word potentiate is defined at least by google it can have multiple definitions but it described as increasing in power effect or likelihood of something um let's see what their ai says 
Potentiate can mean in medicine to increase the effectiveness of a drug or treatment, in science to increase the effect of something or to act synergistically with it, in a funeral, a form of cross, <laughs> and in general, to make something more effective, active, or to increase its power. And I think it comes from the word uh, potent, uh, potency. Um, I guess that that's the Latin potentia. So I originally thought maybe this is you know related to potential, but I think it may have more to do with potency than potential in what Ra's trying to say here. The potency of consciousness yeah. is enhanced by the potentiator. And, so, and that's the feminine. And it's and it sounds interesting, even the story of Genesis, you have the male first with consciousness, and then the female is increasing the potential of the man in that in that story, and in, in that in this in the sense we're talking about it here. Um So then the next one was a discussion in 79. Um, and we've talked about this a few different times. This was originally a question about the, the original, um, I believe, nine archetypes, which came from the previous logos, which were prior to the extension of the first distortion, which is also called the, the veiling. Prior to the veiling, the earliest stages in the universe, there was the matrix potentiator and significator but these descriptions still apply, I think, for the most part, um, to what we're experiencing now with the matrix potentiator and significator. And Ross said, the matrix of bind is that which from all comes, it is unmoving, it is the activator and potentiation of all mind activity. And so that's consciousness, which is unmoving, and it's the activator of the potentiator. And the potentiator of the mind is that great resource which may be seen is the sea into which the consciousness dips ever deeper and more thoroughly in order to create, ideate, and become more self-conscious. So I think we should stop on this again and talk about what these words mean to us. Um, so, so consciousness needs the feminine to create, to ideate, and to become more self-conscious even. So what's the difference between ideate and think? Is there even a difference there? I don't think so, but this feels like realization. It feels like dipping into what could be and claiming it and self-actualization Yeah, for the conscious mind. And it expands and becomes, creates itself out of the potentiator. Right. right, and then slowly able to go to deeper and deeper levels the further you go through it there, dipping into that deeper sea. I mean, this to me definitely describes like meditation practices in that sense too. You practice this to go deeper and deeper into that unconscious mind to bring back these ideas, different thoughts, and to be able to create from there as well. Yeah. I put the, uh, um, the matrix of the mind and then I would I was trying to get like in a word, and then I put the matrix of the mind consciousness, and then the potentiator of mind is like the ether, the ether of the universe, where the that with with directed consciousness you can you can pull from the ether and like make anything. And the uh, the the John Anthony West. Uh, he said this one phrase that just got me thinking. I had to pause it and just sit there. 
he said that uh, he was he was talking about the snake symbolism and he said how it represented energy. And he said the energy, the the substructure or the primordial stuff of the universe dispirited consciousness. So like we would be spirited consciousness made up of consciousness, but like spirited, energized, animated by the individual nature of this duality in which we're experiencing. So it that that that's why I was like consciousness and then the ether. So like consciousness the ether would represent dispirited consciousness. So it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. They're both kind of the same thing except uh one is a part of this experiment of experiencing duality and driven by an individual person, you, me, all of us. Or even the trees and the rocks and the, you know, turtles crawling around on the ground. You know, something kind of interesting in terms of the flow here and the activated kind of movement or what is or isn't movement um, is conventional, so-called conventional electron flow and electromagnetism has electrons flowing from the positive to the negative. And that's what was originally surmised. And that's what actually a lot of um, existing math still accounts for or still it's still labeled and diagrammed that way even though it's understood by physicists to actually be the opposite that electrons actually come from the negative pole and so i'm you know it 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 shows that movement from the unconscious toward the consciousness hmm. i guess I guess you could see it both ways with the, the sea, the sea as being what's dipped into, but you have to have that sea to have anything created. Yeah. Yeah, which means you have to be aware that that sea exists, which was in another passage. I don't know if it was on the list or if I just kept reading one, but until the, um, the mind-body-spirit complex is aware of the evolutionary process, its experience and catalysts are produced by the logos from which it comes and and it's even quasi randomized before that at the beginning of their density yep i think we'll get to that one soon here okay yep all right might as well get get through some of this now um but also the the concept of self-conscious was fascinating to me um that self-conscious potential comes from the potentiator right away it's not the significator that leads to self-conscious it's the potential it's poten potential or enhancement of consciousness that's leading towards self-awareness which kind of surprised me but the significator is seen as the as the simple and unified concept which is now after the veiling the comp the complex complex concept but the concept of the self seemed to be coming from the significator and then the potentiator is that which is leading to the next realization, I guess, or next creation of what could be in the experience. And then I guess the experience being processed can produce a more complex um, concept of significator, of significance of the self. Yeah, do you suppose this, the significator is the observer, basically? I mean, because we know the matrix is unmoving though it might be 
um, realized further and further. So our perception of the matrix might change, even though the matrix itself doesn't. And perhaps yeah. the significator is the observer that's required to see and um, choose this process. Well, I guess since the arch it. archetype that represents the the awareness of that which was observed or something like that. Yeah. I yeah, think the experience which, is still the observer to, to a degree. Yeah. Oh, oh, the experience itself? Possibly. But that's an interesting way of saying it. Which one of these cards is the observer? Yeah. Yeah. And the observer in a participatory reality is that which is claiming, you know, reality. So it's a pretty important um, archetype and interesting that originally it all, we only had the matrix potentiator and significator and that would kind of introduce a the triangle really the sake in sacred geometry which is that third point is sort of the the perspective to see the first two and then the fourth is what moves into three dimensions in order to see all three of those in in conjunction so in each case there's a observation of of what's present but it's just interesting that we well you said that we started with a matrix and potentiator is what the logo started with yeah but then it says that we had the significator prior to the veiling as well so was the right. significator introduced within this octave the significator came from the last octave too yeah oh i thought it said we only started with matrix and potentiator it was it was it was matrix potentiator significator for some okay. reason those three were a part of the the foundations of of evolution as the last universe understood it and they also well, said they had the sense. concept of the mover and the moved so maybe the significator was the moved and maybe the mover was the potentiator working on the matrix or something like that yeah you know this came up on the last call that that i was on i think i missed last month but it was i was asking what is transformed by the archetype of transformation is it the matrix is it the significator and it seems like it might be more on the significator side in that it's understanding of what the matrix really is or its perception of the matrix in truth well in theory it could be also um tweaking everything by the polarity changing that that's my speculation but i mean i guess the great way we'll see all the different opportunities for experience and still be choosing one on one particular polarity. Yeah, and the polarity, again, makes me go back to this whole veiling and ego thing, the service to self. That's when that was introduced, right? Was the veiling, that's right. in one of these right. passages. So there it is, that's the ego. The service to self is the abject denial of source and the assertion that the self can be self-created at the level at which it exists, which is not at the level of one and so everything that it manifests is a reflection of that nothingness and that separation and so i still keep going back to that and it's interesting because i've read another book i think i told you guys about called the fall where they you know they speak of this as a just a massive failed experiment and to me i'm more and more convinced that it's the exact same process that Ra describes but because don is asking the questions and because Ra has a very very careful and positive spin to put on just about everything. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Now I know it says it, it's for a vivid experience, blah, blah, blah. That was the intention. 
and the the book the fall that i read which again some of it i you know it, it didn't fully resonate but it did say that that was the initial intention this experiment that we ran was to have an experience with matter that would create a more rich experience for the godhead and to send that up up the chain and to me i think that they're describing the same thing and that Ra literally is coming here teaching the law of one and the ego itself is the thing that insists that everything is in fact separate so even though Ra is telling us and teaching us about the veiling process I think the veiling process is sort of what caused this splintered, you know, reality and that that's what we're trying to put back together. Yeah. Um, although I don't know if um, we're really going to put it all back together or if it's some new breakthrough that the universe has that takes us into infinitely more universes or something like that. It's putting kind of, itself back wild. together. The, 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 it's basically diaspora for consciousness and forms in a big bang and consciousness becomes uh, infinite cockroaches, basically yeah. running around, recoagulating, repulling itself back together, back together, back together. And eventually, boom, the octave ends, lessons are learned, new decisions are made, and the whole thing happens again because of this fundamental idea of separateness, which can't actually exist. And yet... It was a choice made and one that we're now living through the ramifications of. Yeah. Original sin. Well, let's let's um move on now. I think um yeah, I think we circle back to a lot of this too. Um so the the very next question Don asked in 79 was the first change made then for this extension of free will, which is really what we're talking about with this creation of the ego, the extension of free will is another way of putting it. Um, or instead of it's just the will of the mind of the galaxy working with all these bodies, it's every single body has its own separate concept of self, separate free will because of the veiling of not being appreciative of the, the deeper connected nature of the deeper self. Um, so the first change made then for this extension of free will was to make the information or make the communication between the matrix and potentiator of mind relatively unavailable one to the other during the incarnation. Is this correct? And Ross said, we would perhaps rather term the condition as relatively more mystery filled than relatively unavailable. So there's more mystery in this sense of separation with the ego, um, but we still have the availability to interact as, through the veil and and break down the walls and see our oneness again doesn't this create the do you think this creates the dynamic tension that they talk about between matrix and potentiator then um may have to pull that up separately um i've always thought that this was to induce greater seeking well yeah but that's the mystery and therefore this tension between you know trying to to reconcile these two these two things what is and what could be and the reconciliation of that is the recognition of it the realization of it yeah great dynamic tension between the matrix and potentiator they said um it's interesting they also said when i searched for that they also said dynamic tension exists um the creator against creator and sub logos and dynamic tension 
and the dynamic tension of magnetic field is always present. Um, and this is with um, within the context of the veil itself as well. I don't think this is talking about the veiling. This is talking about the, the nature of the energy fields around Just our body. Just the dynamic tension between matrix and potentiator, though. Which could be an extension of... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Go, go back to that. So this one was a discussion about energy centers originally. Yeah. Um, it is correct that there is a correlation between the energy field of an entity of your nature and planetary bodies, where all material is constructed by means of the dynamic tension of the magnetic field. Yeah. Interesting. They're, they're... They're talking about like uh, you know the subatomic being drawn together, making the atom, and then the atoms being drawn together. That that's what I'm getting from that meaning of dynamic tension. Yeah, fascinating that they would use the phrase in these different contexts. You know what dynamic tension also makes me think of is choice, which is of course the final archetype, but this. You know, it's always between this or that, right? Like, right, and that's what the significator and you know what's coming out of the the potentiator and all of that is. It ends up being choice. That is the creative principle: is by choice realization occurs. Yeah, yeah. I'll read this part here. They said you may fruitfully view each logos and its design as the creator experiencing itself. The seed concept of the significator being a complex, which is the veiling introduces two things. Firstly, the creator against creator in one sub-logos in what you may call dynamic tension. Secondly, the concept of free will, once having been made fuller by its extension into the sub-logoi known as mind-body-spirit complexes or people, creates and recreates and continues to create as a function of its very nature. Yeah, that's fear. That's it. That's the ego right there. And you did say it was couched specifically in the veiling that created a complex of the significator. It created an experience of separateness and otherness. And now we have tension creator to creator, as opposed to oneness creator to creator, just aspects of the one creator that there are. Now we have these individuations that are more individuated than they are, or at least in our perception, far more individuated than they are connected. Right. All right. And then Don had asked in session 79, the idea was to create some type of veil between matrix and potentiator. Is this correct? And I said, yes. Um, and then this veil then occurs between what we now call conscious and unconscious mind. Is this correct? And Ross said, yes. And then uh, he asked, it was probably the design of the Logos by doing this to allow the conscious mind greater freedom under the first distortion by partitioning, you might say, the individualized portions of this from of this from the potentiator or unconscious, which had a greater communication with the total mind, therefore allowing for, you might say, the birth of uneducated, to use a poor term, portions of consciousness. And then Ross said, this is roughly correct. Yeah, uneducated would, I'd say, another way to put it as the ego not knowing, like literally the absence of knowing truth. It is now a blank slate. Yeah. Yeah, with a veiled mind, you're starting over there and you can go a bunch of different directions, but it's a unique experience or seemingly unique for, for each entity at that point. Yeah, and, and creates nearly infinite choice, I suppose, because the opposite, to have a completely unveiled mind and to see all that is seems like you have a lot less choice i suppose you know choice itself is 
sort of the inflection of vibration, right? So, I mean, that's what sends the ripples out and, and creates reality. So when you can see everything, everything probably moves a lot less in the spiritual realm. Obviously it's less motile. Ra tells us that, but it kind of makes sense because everything simply is all at once, I suppose. Yep. So now um, I think I want to skip ahead to one of the next discussions that was related to this in 85, 19, still before they got into the details of the high priestess image, there was a question um, about before the veil and after the veil. And, and this is a huge portion of the material that we're not even covering, which we covered partially, I think, in another discussion, but there's a whole category called the veil and maybe one called before the veil too um, in the material. Um, so this is a huge area of study. Maybe we'll come back to continuously, but uh, Don, in this particular part, there were some clues given about the the differences. And Don asked, I would like to carry on to find out what specific functions of the mind were most effectual and the three or four most effective changes brought about to create polarization after the veiling. And Ross said, this is an interesting query. The primary veiling was of such significance that it may be seen to be analogous to the mantling of the earth over all the jewels within the earth's crust, whereas previously all facets of the crater were consciously known. After the veiling, almost no facets of the crater were known to the mind. Almost all was buried beneath the veil. So that's where we're at right now is like being buried and we have no idea. It's absolute insanity. It's it's like literally schizophrenia. Yeah. <laughs> and which by the way is why we then project it into this reality as well because of the law of correspondence as within so without as above so below. That's why we encounter it. It's why we see it. It is a the manifestation a projection of what is in the mind of God which is effectively a sickness an overcommitment to an idea of separation. Yeah. And it sure makes dreaming more interesting. And we're getting, I think they mentioned dreaming here. Uh, so I guess I'll say that next. But th the next thing they said was if one were to attempt to list those functions of mind most significant and that they might be of aid in polarization, one would need to begin with the faculty of visioning, envisioning, or far seeing. Without the veil, the mind was not caught in your illusory time. With the veil, space time is the only obvious possibility for experience. It's so just, that's just, kind of interesting. Did space-time exist before the veil then? It did, but there was an opportunity to experience time-space where you're traveling around time with your consciousness just as you could in a dream state or in an out-of-body astral-projected state. Um, we had this discussion at a, one of our unrecorded discussions with, about the law of one that it does seem people who have experience with astral travel, they believe that they can travel in space-time and in time-space once you're no longer kind of stuck in your um, shell, you can you can go both both ways. And uh, technically, we can do that with our mind anyway. It's just we're so hyper-focused on our phys physicality, I think, when we're consciously awake, that the veil is much more potent than it is when we're closer to a dream state or in a dream state, where, where then we could have a feeling of something 
that may happen in the future or in the past, and then just travel there and have an experience of that thing, as long as we're not held back by our lower chakra blockages and processing other energies in that dream state, which is another subject to talk about the dreams in the way that there's more that can be experienced in dreams um, once you work through those blockages. As long as it's moved into the conscious mind, and that's kind of interesting and something that I need to work on myself as you guys may remember i don't recall any of my dreams mm, yeah and i read that this morning and thought that was pretty interesting is that it says dreams can be very very helpful as long as they're moved into the conscious mind and you know you sit with them and it's like well it'd be nice if i remember them i suppose yeah yeah the next paragraph says also upon the list of significant veiled functions of the mind would be that of dreaming the so-called dreaming contains a great deal which if made available to the conscious mind and used shall aid it in polarization to a great extent yeah. Womp womp. Give her a challenge, that's all. <laughs> yeah. It is a good challenge. And it, yeah. it really is like you have to set your attention and really have a journal ready and and even if you just get a tiny, tiny hint of anything, write it down, that can be a window into getting more the next night and more the next night. Intention, huh? That's choice. <clears throat> Intention is the exercise of choice. And so I imagine that's why it manifests. If you don't act physically or take action, then you're not really choosing, which means you're not really intending. So it's one thing to desire or to want, but that literally creates a gap between you and your so-called desired state. Yeah. Because to desire something is to first affirm that it's not there. Exactly. And then to try and bring it there. Yeah, which puts it outside of you. Yeah. Yeah, like uh yeah, I can't even remember who was saying it, but they were saying, like, you know, when the when the ancient shamans used to do the rain dance, they didn't dance around imagining that the rain was gonna start. They danced around imagining they were already in the rain, smelling the rain, feeling the rain, you know what I mean? Like put yourself that that's intent right there. Yeah, that's manifestation. Mm-hmm. Or visioning and visioning and far-seeing. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Which, which I want to discuss here, what, what these might also mean. Um, certainly we know what our imagination is, um, and maybe there's some overlap between the imagination and the ability to see the future more directly or create a bridge between what we want to see and the actual future as we start to work on these once the when the imagination turns into far seeing, I guess I don't, I don't know, but it's fascinating. That this is polar polarizing. This is of aid and polarization to be able to have these abilities. Well, on some level, it seems inverse of what they say with the poker game analogy, where they said if anyone could read the hands of the the poker hands of all the other players at the table, you would have no catalyst for growth because you would know the correct way to play your hand because you see their hands. You say they use all the cards in their hands. Once you know what their cards are, you no longer have any emotional, you know, pull to try to work through the, the you know, the the issues that you're facing uh, because you just, it's just an obvious thing to make the right choice. Um, but maybe when we gradually work through the veil, maybe this process of gradually becoming more aware of what's out there in the future or what's possible with our intuition maybe that leads us more to open our heart more gradually and, and pull us in that direction of becoming more aware of the oneness of our reality. And that's yeah, in a way that our psyche and ego can 
handle. Yeah. Incrementally, incrementally. Um, so would like the extension be... of free will create the archetype of choice? Sorry, Nathan. Oh, no, you're good. I think that is the same thing. The extension of free will is the archetype of choice. Yeah. Okay. And the veiling and free will were somewhat coupled or free will was extended first? Say that again. Were free will and the veiling one and the same or did one precipitate the other? Well, they say it's the extension of free will that comes with the veiling. So it's like there's free will of the creator at all times as the first distortion before reality, but just the way in which it's extended is what the veiling is is accentuating, I guess. Yeah, like it really is like will. the ego trying to create itself the way that God did. Like it just it tried to create a whole new blank slate of potential and said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna create myself," but yeah. it did so out of nothing because it's yeah. it, it thought it was it was God. And I don't want to bring it too much of a tangent, but the it's funny that our our whole planet right now the most exciting thing for so many people is can we create AGI, the artificial general intelligence. And extend free will even further into the machines. Can we do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I think that uh, the the um, the veiling is an extension of free will in that it gives you more choices. Because mm -hmm. if you if you have the veiling, if you don't have the veiling, you know what the outcome is. So it's you have choices, game. but you're like, whatever. You know, I already know the end. So my only choice is the choice which is the right choice because i know all the outcomes whereas if you don't know all the outcomes you can choose a million bad paths so go yeah. go ahead get choosing well but again i mean whether or not this was a virtuous or particularly productive experiment is i think remains to be seen Honestly. i think it's just well, i mean a, it is uh, i mean it will always be successful because that's what you know the ultimate design was that we can't break the system but is this particularly efficient i don't know it's a it's i don't kind think of a efficiency, i think it's exactly the opposite of efficiency i think it's going for uh the the, the more granular looks at what yeah, is experience. possible yeah exactly the 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 multitude of experiences as opposed to the efficiency of experiences. You might be looking for the efficiency of polarizing yourself, you know, so that you can learn and progress your spirit. But the, the ultimate goal of, of, you know, the, the one mind consciousness is to have the most experiences, but your individuated goal is to have the best experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you think that the great way transcends experience altogether? What what's that? Well, I mean, experience seems to you know to be leading us back to knowledge, and yeah. the great way after transformation. Once we're all knowing, do we really need experience to learn? Well, I think it's more like everything just continues along the great way, with experience being a part of that great way. It's just becoming the the peacock's tail more instead of the uh, the best experience. That's that goes yeah. back to what you were saying and what I was saying about efficient, maybe more like effective or preferred experience, I suppose, because the the one that we've made is um, not so much preferential.
Well, and also the uh, the the goal of the one mind is to have the most experiences. Ours is to have the most efficient experience. And the the thing that we're missing is like when they were saying like this was brought to your octave from the previous octave. So it's redefining the situation. So the most effective way for the individual to go about having the experience changes as the parameters change. You know, like the example they gave of your kind has a tongue, which promotes you to verbalize your thoughts as opposed to telepathically sending them. You know, like the parameters change. Therefore, each individual person is trying to have an efficient uh, progression within those parameters. But the, the one mind doesn't care. The one mind is just resetting the game and changing the parameters again. Well, maybe one one level below the one mind because i'm i'm not entirely sure that anything changes at the very outside yeah by like uh, outside you mean well like i don't think we're... the one mind always knows who and what it is and the process of getting us back is almost like it's sort of like think about the matrix and how the the architect um, you know always knows that that Neo is going to you know come up because it always is. It's just the way that the system breaks. And it's like as soon as God has the thought of separation, I wonder what separation would be like. Then boom, this whole thing has to then play itself out again to its natural conclusion, which is of course nothing can be separate from anything else, but. It gets the the concept of separation and invests so heavily in it that that separation, the idea of it, fear, the it becomes the ego. It it manifests itself and claims itself as real simply because of the belief in separation. And it's like if the octaves are progressing and they're changing slightly every single time, it seems like maybe we're trying to get it right to where we can create as we're created to, which is to extend via love only and to share that energy, which is then multiplied and never lost and can never be subtracted or divided in any way. And it would be nice to to be in that octave where that's the only way of being and that the idea of separation from self is no longer present. And I think that that is, that's what's, it's not at the end, it's at the beginning and the end. It just, yeah, it's always there. Yeah. And that's like the the first experiment, you know, when uh, when the all mind decided to play with duality, it played with duality, you know, with the innocence of a child. It was like, okay, let's have choices, and then it just made all the right choices. Like, okay, wait a minute, we gotta make that a little bit tougher. Let's do all the let's do duality with a veil, you know. Let's do duality with, and then it just kept playing along. But you're right; it does start with that that uh childlike naivete where you have to make the game harder in order to have more experience within sure i don't think that it's even duality though that's that's created prior to the veil i think that the veil is what creates the idea of duality and that initially creation is simply extension and so there's it's just building one on top of another so is it a new thing yes is it separate from the whole no and it's completely indistinguishable. It is it is both. It is all monolithically one thing, and it expresses in an infinite number of ways, but knows itself 
as one thing. And so it's completely non-dual until we get this, this fully committed concept of separation that then creates duality and and in fact puts god completely outside of our experience but by therefore puts everything outside of our experience and creates multiplicity really not just duality but obviously the idea of of abject and complete separation i'm beginning to think that the veil is is a lot more tied up with time than we're led to believe and that's because that's definitely what we're talking about here with uh with the veil, space-time is the only obvious possibility right. for experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because it exactly. takes time to figure your way back through the the mountainous amount of guilt and shame that's taken on by this one simple decision to cut yourself off from your source. I mean, it's it it makes sense that it's nearly infinite because uh, everything is what we said no to, or virtually everything. And now we have this completely, completely tiny, thinly sliced version of reality that we've narrowed ourselves down to. And so that guilt and shame is what we project all over our experience, but it's it all comes from this one same place. It's the only thing to feel guilty about, and it's the realization that that it could never be that is the acceptance of forgiveness, that it, it never could have been. It's unreal. That's why it's forgiven because it never happened. I, I would love to read this now. Um, is the process in positive time space identical with the process in negative time space was the question. But Ra explained um, that the advantage of being in time space, which is when you are free to see all of time with your mind without the veil, when you're in a dream state or in between incarnations, the advantage of time space is that of the fluidity of the grand overview, fluid, a fluid view of the whole thing, the advantage of space-time is that working in darkness with a tiny candle, one may correct imbalances. That tiny candle, though, doesn't give us a whole lot of appreciation for our bigger nature um, as a unified, massive, dense self with all these aspects as a part of us. But still, with that tiny candle, we can get a hint of the entire creation, I think, manifest in every single minor choice that we're put in front of, you know, that's put in front of us that we get to make. Right, because it's a fractal. Even with a candle, we can see the whole in every part, even though we can see this one tiny part at a time. If we contemplate it long enough, we'll yeah. realize that we see the whole within it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, there's a lot of contemplation <laughs> before you get <laughs> to the point where you see everything in, in, the, in the smallest bit. I yeah. agree with you, but yeah, like, that's, that's the, the kingdom. Yeah. That is literally the kingdom is an awareness, <laughs> an awareness of the divine in all things, and, and that's the archetype lightning birth. Yeah, the archetypes I think are one of our shortcuts. It's like because the shortcut is is the deeper mind is informing all experience, so we can seek what is informing to teach us about the deeper nature of every single experience yeah. and every single thing we're going through. And so, yeah. Did you have anything, Nathan, on all this? We were kind of rambling on these different tangents. Um, nothing for now, I guess. I'll, I'll get back to it more as you keep going on this far seeing, I think. But yeah, no, we're good. Okay. The far seeing, it, it, like, because I just watched the, um, the, um, what, what, what is it called? 
Russell Targ did it. Oh, the remote viewing? Uh, there it is, spies. Viewing. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't mm-hmm. think of that word. I was watching the guy who was a, a remote viewer, um, and uh, the, the way he was describing it and everything he was saying, like when I, when I see this um, visioning, envisioning, and far-seeing, uh, I, I think of like, in order for you to do that, like far seeing or the remote viewing, you have to, you have to acknowledge at some level conscious or unconscious that you, everything is one. And that allows you to pull yourself from your faculties and put yourself into a different place and absorb the, the information there because you have, you have to, you have to know at some level that it's possible and knowing that it's possible is acknowledging that everything is one and you have connection with everything at an instant if you put the right focus and intention into it isn't that called the point of assemblage i don't think i've ever heard that can you google that real quick mike yep i I will say that you know remote viewing it it definitely it's like i had some blockages around trusting my intuition before I did remote viewing. And once I got a small amount of success with remote viewing, um, assemblage, yeah, that, that, assemblage. that gave me so much more faith that I don't understand it, but I can just trust that there's more going on there. Yeah. Assemblage point is where perception takes place. Yeah. Hmm. And Carlos Castaneda talks about that a little bit too. Oh, really? Yeah. So to, going back to what you were saying, Nick, it's like you just simply disassemble your yeah. perception, move it to another point in the one reality and reassemble yeah. it and now perceive there. Yeah. And and that another point in the one reality is such a key phrase within that sentence that could just be overlooked. But it you are at some level agreeing that it is one reality that you have uh, access to at any given time. Yeah. But do you think that remote viewing would be considered which which of these three here, the visioning, envisioning, or far seeing? Because I think maybe one of the next quotes you're talking about that far seeing is more diving into that unconscious mind and kind of uh, learning more from what's not not typically seen there. But then when you're remote viewing, you're actually putting some sort of image in your head at that point of an area in a specific time frame. Right. So Are you bringing it? Yeah, aren't you bringing it from the potentiator into the matrix at that point? So you're far seeing in. And so remote viewing is, I mean, what's the difference between if you look at something in, you know, another country remotely, you are bringing something that was previously unconscious to you into your consciousness. The fact that you're doing it by moving your perception is simply the faculty used to do it. When I yeah, look up the um, definitions of these three words, they're very similar. Um, visioning defined as the development of a plan, goal, or vision for the future. The act of seeing visions, action of, or fact of seeing visions, visioning, imagining a future possibility, visualize, parsing um, can mean, I think, a few different things. Um, but having true judgment and ability to predict and plan for future eventualities. So, Okay, go to the middle one. The envisioning was imagine a future possibility. I think go to the first one. Developing a plan, goal, or vision for the future. That almost sounds like past, present, and future to me. Even though they all work within the future, 
One is the beginning of the development of the plan. One is the imagination of the plan. And the other one is applying judgment to the plan. Shrewd judgment to the plan. Looking down the future path yeah. of the plan. Yeah. But, but I do think English, English is sloppy. Wait, say it again. I think you're the right. one. I was going to say English is sloppy, and I'm sure that there's not a whole lot yeah. that we can use to adequately get, get into this. And that's why I think they use multiple words to describe basically about the same idea, which is they do sense. many places with the slash. You know, they say um, honor responsibility to explain that you're, it, it's an imbalance to say something is just an honor or something is just a responsibility. These are two concepts that must be merged to have the balanced picture of it. Like that. Um, so should we um, move on a bit now? Sure. Yep. And so, yeah, eighty-six point six was, I think, a continuation of this discussion. And so uh, Don asked in the last. So here we go. <laughs> in the last session, you had mentioned the properties participating from the veiling of the mind. The first being visioning, envisioning, or far seeing. Would you explain the meaning of that? And so then they said, your language is not is not overstrewn with non-emotional terms <laughs> for the functional qualities of what is now termed the unconscious mind. So that's what I was trying to say, is that they probably could use a lot of other words that we just would probably take it slightly differently. Because they're emotional. Yeah. Or they engender emotion or cause emotional reaction. Yeah. Maybe even just the word extrasensory perception, you know. They don't even really say that, do they? Um, no. The nature of the mind is something which we have requested that you ponder. However, it is, shall we say, clear enough to the casual observer that we may share some thoughts with you without infringing upon your free learned teaching experiences. Um, because it's so fascinating that, you know, if if they put slightly too much emphasis on how amazing this is that we can develop our psychic abilities and potential that might throw off all of our paths if we spent too much time um, pursuing that, which is not the heart of self, which is what they're aiming for here with, with their explanations of these, of these archetypes. Um, the nature of the unconscious is the nature of concept rather than word. Consequently, before the veiling, the use of the deeper mind was that of the use of unspoken concept. So they didn't even, before the veiling, they didn't even have to bother with words. They were just understanding these deeper ideas. And words are a part of the veiling process, aren't they? Because words are like our encapsulation of something that we can't fully communicate. So we're putting it up into this little sound vibration entity this sound vibration complex we're calling a word and i'm going to throw this at you and see how you handle it <laughs> right so like word words are like the paint while the concept is the picture yeah and yeah. the words having to be laid out chronologically to make sense further keeping you in the uh the yeah, physical fully, fully linear aren't they yeah 
even potentially having different meanings to each person as well too so based on your biases have different interpretations so it just makes it even more complicated i guess so yeah, it gets, painting it a, different, the, a different picture with even using the same words yeah yeah, yeah. That's why we had to find so much of this, right? You Google the definitions so much in your head, it seems like you have your own preconceived ideas of what some of this means. And it's yeah. not always necessarily the case, yeah. I guess. And it drove me nuts as a kid when I would get out a dictionary and find all these circular definitions for words. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that's what you're saying it means, but I don't know what that word means yet. <laughs> right. This mean this means that and that means this. Oh, okay, I gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, or or if it, it says something like uh, uh, potentiate, if they had named it like the ability to have potential. But like, well, you still didn't get the what the potent part is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of time before we have an experience that allows us to have a connection to the deeper mind. Maybe that's the way of looking at it, is that when we have shared experiences, then we have some sense of it, some feeling that this must be what we're talking about. But if right, you never had that experience, the same experience, yeah. If and if you've never had an experience of going deep within the mind, how can you possibly talk about the deeper mind? And that's really why they have these images or the archetypes, I guess, is they can't just communicate what these are without veiled symbols. Because they're concepts, they're concept complexes. They're not words like we think of, right? Yeah, but it is, uh, again, it is all vibration. You know what I mean? Like words come to you through vibration and that's how we, you know, we think of um, music as the vibratory manifestation of art, but really everything is is a vibratory manifestation because the wavelengths, you know, create the, the picture. If you're looking at a painting, the different pigments have different wavelengths and, the, and their frequency gets digested by your eyes, you know, so it, it, it's just a different format of putting vibration. Yeah, into different it. frequency. Yeah, Paul yeah. Selig's guides refer to it as one note sung in infinite tones. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Could you explain that more? Well, the, that manifestation itself or reality is one note, one singular note sung by God, the word of God, vibration, and vibrating in infinite frequencies, infinite octaves, but it's it's one tone, one one note in infinite tones anyway. It can take like different appearances, is that what we're saying, like with the art there, so you can view certain things yeah. or create a and painting we, or yeah, create we art in different ways. Them based on these predispositions, that's why we have the notes in the musical scale that we do though though the one that we use a lot of people contend is not sort of as mathematically beautiful or maybe even as resonant as uh as another but we you know we're we encapsulate and and create um understandings of groups of vibrations into you know our experience which is exactly what they're talking about here with the next statement um as an example of of uh, unspoken concept rather than word. You may consider the emotive and connotative aspects of a melody. One could call out in some stylized fashion the terms for the notes of the melody. One could say a quarter note A, quarter note A, quarter note A, 
whole note F, this, but this bears little resemblance to the beginning of the melody of one of your composer's most influential melodies that known to you as a symbol of victory. So when you hear it, you have a feeling and it triggers something in you. And that is absolutely not triggered when you're just talking about what these notes are. Is that Flight of the Valkyries? Bum, 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 bum. No, I think it's simpler than that. Um, maybe maybe I could... think the song that they're talking about is Flight of the Valkyries. Final um, Victory. Maybe I could find a quick way to put this into a player and play it. Um, you probably just type <laughs> it into a search engine. Coordinate A, coordinate A, coordinate A. I, I suppose you can't hear that. Yeah, I got it. You can hear that? I heard it, yeah. All right, let me see if I can tell it to play AAAF. No, that did not do it. I got to refresh this page. Um, I have a hand pan here. Oh, no, I didn't get the, the lower. This is, this is silly. I got to take off that part. Okay. Now it is. That's AAAF right there. I'll see if I can make sure the audio is playing properly here. That one didn't seem to come through, I don't think. Um, sorry, I'm sure I'll get this in a second here. Share sound. Yeah. Oh, wait. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, but dun, that's dun. also a lower uh, F. Maybe if I, maybe I can crack I don't know how this thing works, but that's that's the notes. So it is it is a very common melody, I think. But I I get what he's saying there, though, where it's like you could you could you hear it and it elicits that response, that emotional response. But somebody just going a a a f doesn't you know that is how that starts dun 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 dun. Dun 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 isn't it? Man, I don't know why I have that stuck in my head, but Mike, Mike, put a shiny red ball on the screen. Bring him back. There you go. Let's go back to back to the Bring him back. Over here, boy. One note song. Yeah. Well, we get the idea. We could um and they say this is the nature of the deeper mind. There are only stylized methods with which to discuss its functions. Thusly, our descriptions of this portion of the mind, as well as the same portions of body and spirit, are given terms such as far-seeing, indicating that the nature of penetration of the veiled portion of the mind may be likened unto the journey too rich and exotic to contemplate adequate describing thereof. Yeah, if you think of it as what's coming out of the potentiator as what can be, far-seeing and envisioning is sort of your ability to see how much can be, meaning how much you can realize or make real. And so that kind of makes sense. But the further into it that you look, the infinitely more complex and adventurous and everything it gets because there's just so much more there. And every step further out you get, it just gets exponentially bigger. Yeah, it's like when they pointed the telescope at the black patch of sky and then came back with like thousands of galaxies and stars and stuff. It's just how how can you they say that like, you know, we can't basically we can't put 
it into words? How can we put infinity into words? It would take an infinite amount of words and then thusly it would take an infinite amount of time. Like basically in your plane of existence, you cannot get infinity into your mind because your mind works in that chronological way unless you take your mind out of the physical into the metaphysical. Yeah, into the mental. It -hmm. seems to me that that's why the universe is expanding and rapidly is that this, again, this physical manifestation is this belief in separateness. And that's why everything just gets further and further apart because that's the, the energy of manifestation. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is definitely one of my favorite quotes in the material. This is we're as we as we just simply go within, we're on that journey under in the veiled portion of the mind that's too rich and exotic to contemplate adequate describing thereof. And yeah, that's it's pretty motivating from that point there. It's like what what all can you find? And it's almost like your own unique journey back to the creator is is through through this. Yeah. You know, that in and of itself, back to the creator, um, and this was occurring to me this morning, obviously, after last night, the concept of God itself in all ways, as we describe it subjectively, is necessarily outside of us. And so this is always a matter of getting back to it and coming to know it. And these are all degrees still of separation, because ultimately, our identity is within God itself. And it's not getting back to God, it's God finally becoming itself and knowing itself in this physical reality as it truly is. More of a realization well, of that unity or yeah. that God within, right? Instead, yeah, yeah, re- and right. realization meaning to make real. To know is to realize. To realize is to make real. Yep. And that's the the observer effect, you know, at work right there that's the participatory consciousness-based reality so we are close to diving into session 92 finally where the uh, high priestess has gone into great detail and i think we could still we still have time we can go back into other subjects that seem connected and but yeah, i'm excited to finally dive into these these symbols and see what we can extract from our intuition about the nature of intuition <laughs> it's a fractal <laughs> <laughs> so um there was some build up to this discussion and don had asked and uh 9210 until an entity becomes consciously aware of the evolutionary process, the logos or intelligent energy creates the potentials for an entity to gain the experience necessary for polarization. Would our comment on that? And Rot said this is so. So un- until an entity becomes consciously aware of the evolutionary process, know, we, that we know how to grow, the logos, you know, the deeper aspect of ourself, or intelligent energy, which really essentially means the the, the deepest nature of light manifest on the this intelligent level of god this intelligent energy creates the potentials for an entity to gain the experience necessary for polarization so we're automatically on path of evolution whether or not we understand it 
right being pushed up initially through the first three chakras and then as a gift to sixth density higher self connected down from the top as we realize who we are which is what fascinates me is that on the whole trajectory of evolution there at no point before this could we ever be aware of what's beyond this and at no point after this could we ever associate with what was before this we are literally in the transition of figuring out this truth by consciousness upwelling with, via the upward spiral of light and the inpouring in streaming of light from the higher self we are consciousness farmers farming ourselves right but it's always still i think a tiny candle relative to our our expanded nature oh for sure that's why it feels so awkward and stumbly and you know face plant every other day mm -hmm. And then Don expanded on this question, which is just, it's a fascinating that Don was able to ask questions like this so well by session 92. Um, but but this, this needed some untangling, uh, Ross said. Uh, Don had asked, this occurs because the potentiator mind is directly connected through the roots of the tree of mind, the archetypical mind, and to the logos which created it. And because the veil between matrix and potentiator of the mind allows for the development of the will, would Ross comment? And Ross said some untangling is needed. Um, as the mind-body-spirit complex, which has not yet reached the point of conscious awareness of the process of evolution, prepares for the incarnation it has programmed for it, a less than complete, that is to say, partially randomized systems of learnings. So um, I think I, this needed an extra comma in here, but not in that spot. <laughs> as the mind-body-spirit complex, comma, which has not yet reached the point of the conscious awareness of the process of evolution, comma, is the mind-by-spirit complex prepares for incarnation. It has programmed for it a less than complete, that is to say, a partially randomized system of learnings. So it's partially randomized, less than and complete. To help develop the to help develop, help evolve. I mean, random experience is as good as any other when you're unconscious because it literally just takes experience to start to become conscious so that makes sense to me yep to develop the biases it seems like of each entity as well so then you have something to work through as well so you're kind of given random situations to see how you react or respond towards that to then be able to grow from it from there and right. or have the other catalysts to work be, through yeah the programming that they mentioned would be the bias mm -hmm. and the catalyst or you know experience or potentials are provided by the upward logos right so in a lifetime if you constantly are dealing with anger in there the next life could then be potentially programmed to be working through that anger at least specifically or a little more um pinpointed it seems right areas of, of... barely waking up to the to consciousness in terms of what your relationship to anger is and how you need to experience it to explore it further even i mean presumably early early on in third density i mean this is a probably a rather crude you know evolution really which is why it takes thousands of lifetimes to to progress yeah right so the amount of randomness of potential catalyst 
is proportional to the newness of the mind-body-spirit complex to third density. This then becomes a portion of that which you may call a potential for incarnational experience. This is indeed carried within that portion of the mind which is of the deep mind, the architecture of which may be envisioned as being represented by that concept known as the potentiator. So the that kind of looks like the far reaching or the far seeing. If if the potential of the incarnation comes from within the potentiator and the deep mind, then there is an aspect of self that sees somewhat, you know, to some depth into the potentiator in order to kind of choose that as the programming and maybe a likely series of events or lessons in a lifetime. Yep. And certainly it's easier to see that far down in between incarnations and work with your higher self to plan it. I think the higher self has a lot to do with this planning. For sure. And yet I bet that you can see much further into it after each successive incarnation right. as well to get better and better, more granular programming so that early on your choices might be these just gigantic blockages that lead, I mean, er, literally in second density before even the spirit, you know, exists, but at the, the second chakra level, this, and first this core safety and, you know, so forth. So, I mean, karmically speaking at the beginning of third density, it's like murder, you know, it's it waking up to what murder is, you know, whereas in second density killing was for feeding and just part of the natural order you know, this becomes a thing and probably the the beginning of our, you know, karmic lessons and why we were, we're so deeply rooted in warfare. Right. Yeah. And that the, the tribal mentality was discussed, I think, at another point that the there's carryovers from the second density that is basically like going back into the working on the second chakra instead of the third chakra, which is what we're supposed to be mainly focused on. But when people can't handle the third chakra lessons, the yellow solar plexus energies, they can revert back and dwell more in the distortions of the of the sacral chakra, which leads towards that kind of interaction. That's what I truly believe ego is. I think ego is the last vestiges of second density having a foothold in a third density creature and our job as progressing from third to fourth is to i don't want to say defeat or overcome but to decide that we no longer need that to just leave that by the road as you walk on the rest of your path but you know for your whole journey to this point you needed to you know in second density when you're an animal you need to hunt and you need to be the best hunter so that you can continue to live. And the ego is this thing that was great for you at one point because it, it, it made you want to be the best and it helped you survive. But now it's, it's, it's less applicable almost. You know, I think given that I feel like the splintering, the shattering of of the mental makeup and the mind of God is sort of the diaspora, the spreading out of it. And that as it grows up and I'm kind of drawing a little bit on Paul Selig's work here, but his guides state pretty explicitly that animals and even trees know in a way who they are and know themselves as 
one with all things. And it doesn't seem like we get fully separated until third density and right. the veil and we become a complex. And I almost think that we're more pure before then, though not evolved, but but still more pure and and you know, yeah. Pure. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm, I'm going to the fact that, like, you know, a lion may understand that it's one with the wildebeest, but it still kills the wildebeest. And it has instinct. to be the best killer of the wildebeest in order to survive, in order to keep feeding its pride. Therefore, the ego is that attachment to needing to be the best in order to survive and propagate. I would put, yeah, propagate is is the real key. I would put a slightly different energy on the root chakra from survival, which is relatively typical um, or normally thought of, but it has this very kind of intense or or you know fearful kind of thing. Like I need to survive. Um, yeah. Matthias de Stefano describes that law of the universe correlating to the root chakra as generation which I like because that has a very um, evolutionary energy to it. It is literally that which builds itself, that upward spiral yeah. of light. So yes, to your point, it is propagation and yeah. and more so that than trying to protect itself from, you know, that which would, that which would attack. Well, Ross says here in session 20 and session 19, they said the second density concept of serving self includes the serving of those associated with the tribe or pack. This is not seen in second density as separation of self and other self. All is seen as self, since in some forms of second density entities, if the tribe or pack becomes weakened, so does the entity within the tribe or pack. And then they contrast wow. this to the third density, saying the new or initial third density entity has this innocent, shall we say, bias or distortion towards viewing those in the family, the society, as what you would call perhaps country, as and also country as self. Thus, Though a distortion not helpful for progress in third density, it is without polarity. The break becomes apparent when the entity perceives other selves as other selves and consciously determines to manipulate other selves for the benefit of the self. This is the beginning of the road of which you speak. And I would say the beginning of what we traditionally call ego yeah. is, is, is the sense of separateness being used as a tool. Yeah. So ego is the original divide and conquer. Yeah. Yeah. Which that veil absolutely has to manifest itself as because it it cuts itself off from knowing the truth, knowing period, literally yeah. knowing the creative process of realization cuts itself off from that and knows itself as nothing and therefore entirely separate from everything that it can perceive. Yeah, and in in a world where so like say we say you are the ego so you live in the ego world then you it, it is the fear of annihilation because if the ego is so uh fervently holding on to the individual when the individual begins to act seemingly contrary to the individual but in 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 um benefit of the greater good the ego is that thing that that fears dying because when you dissolve yourself as an individual into the all, then then the ego loses. Yeah, the ego is a thought system, and it, again, it's predicated on a concept that cannot be real, because for something to be completely separate from the source of all things is impossible. You can't not have a source. 
And, and so the, the ego is a thought system based on this concept that was invested in heavily invested in mm. to, and by the time a consciousness invests so heavily within the thought, it becomes that thought. Think about it. Like if your entire awareness and concentration are focused on a singular thing, you you now embody that thing. That is your consciousness because you've now filled yourself with only that idea. And that's what the ego is, is a wrong idea in the mind of God that was committed to in a in an attempt to create better and more experience. And again, I think that if I were to reread the entire Law of One, I'm not entirely sure that Ra says specifically that it definitely is better, but it says what it, what the intention was and that it does create more of this experience. But the veil itself was moved around too, right? And they talk about this where we're going to get to, where it disconnects knowledge of the body. And that's what puts the entire manifest reality outside of us because our knowing of ourselves all the way top to bottom through our body, meaning our soul body, our emotional body, our physical body, all the above disconnected us from the physical, which that became the the commitment to and the investment in physical reality and the withdrawal from spiritual and real reality. All right, let me read it now then. It is not in the archetypical mind of an entity that the potential for incarnational experience resides, but in the mind-body-spirit complex's insertion, shall we say, into the energy web of the physical vehicle and the chosen planetary environment. However, to more deeply articulate this portion of the mind-body-spirit complex's beingness, this archetype, the potentiator of the mind, may be evoked with profit to the student of its own evolution. And that's what we're trying to understand how to do, um, how to evoke this potentiator of mind through deeper understanding of this purified archetype which is i guess layered layered onto that is all the the webs of energy patterns coming from the influence of the logos and the influence of the uh the sun the influence of the earth the influence of the energy web of the physical vehicle finally and the chosen planetary environment so see that insertion point that to me is you know i'm always touching my my middle finger to my thumb this is what it feels like you know god touching itself at this touch point you know like with michelangelo whatever's on the sistine chapel roof or whatever it's like this is where consciousness meets itself and Ra tells us later that the the third density incarnation is a gift right to the sixth density higher self and this is like when it happens as soon as this farmed consciousness and its purified state reaches harvestability if you will um at that stage from second to third anyway it becomes a mind body spirit complex and that's at that point when the higher self and and the the initial self or the the bottom up growth uh become one although the the higher self seems largely dormant through this process of evolution until we recognize and pull it into our awareness and finally realize it as ourselves which is um a sliding scale of progress that we're making to yeah. work more and more with what they also call the magical personality um so yeah I, 
we're getting closer to the end. Let's let's get let's jump in now to the uh, to the meat of the images here and see how much of what we've been talking about is apparent through the symbols. Um, <laughs> None of it. <laughs> part, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see the salt shakers, right? That's what we're talking about on the side of the picture. <laughs> the salt, salt and pepper, <laughs> salt and pepper. The two two polarities of life. Always salt and pepper. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> yeah. does seem to be the choice. By the way, I still think service to self is a commitment to the ego and the sense of self outside of God, whereas service to others really is service to one because it's a recognition that all others are one. And to me, yeah. that's what polarity is. That's your choice is go with the ego, create the self out of nothing or realize the self in truth. Well, so this started out with a question about uh, the female on in the card number two, we see a female sitting on a rectangular block. She is veiled between two pillars, which seem to be identically covered with drawings but one much darker than the other. I assuming the, that the veil represents the veil between conscious and subconscious or matrix and potentiator. Is this correct? This is quite correct. And he didn't say what he thought that these things mean yet, the, the rectangular block and the pillars. Let's continue. He said, I'm assuming that she sits between the different colored columns, one on her left, one on her right. The dark one is on her left. To indicate at this position an equal opportunity, you, you might say, for potentiation, the mind to be of the negative or positive paths would draw a comment on this. And Ross said, although this is correct, it is not as perceptive as the notice that the priestess, as this figure has been called, sits within a structure in which polarity, symbolized as you correctly noted by the light and dark pillars, is an integral and necessary part. The unfed mind has no polarity, just as intelligent infinity has none. The nature of the sub-sub-sub-logos, which offers the third density experience, is one of polarity, not by choice, but by careful design. So that's the incarnation of the physical vehicle, the sub-sub-sub-logos, which sometimes they call the sub-sub-logos. They used both, I guess, to describe a, a person. Um, so equal opportunities are presented. It, it clearly shows that the two columns are identical which means that while the amount of polarity may be different, I think that the potentiator is always going to create a choice by providing at least two potentials. And, and one may be in positive and one may be in negative. Or yep. if you are negatively polarized, you might be choosing between two relatively negative uh, choices as well. But if you're balanced and you see positive and negative, you become aware of of where you're choosing from, which is where you're then manifesting reality from. So it it seems that the potentiator is equal or produces equal opportunity, I suppose, in polarity. Right. And the images on both of these are almost identical, but you have a white band here and a black band here around the, the head garment, uh, around a figure which looks otherwise naked, I guess, uh, maybe androgynous. Uh, but there's um, a wing here. Wait, which band are you talking about? The one around the chest or? This one here, head? this one right oh, here. I got you. 
So this is different between this other side, white and black, different colors of clothing on the same being. Interesting. So you have to have some some distortion in the light in order to have reality. And you always have to have some light in the dark because all the darkness is light. It's just in denial of itself. And so I, it makes sense to me that you would see um, very distinct representations of opposites in each of these primarily otherwise light or dark. Right. And there's this wing here does not seem to be connected to the person, but there's a wing. I don't know if you call that. This is more like a feather than a wing, isn't it? A feather coming straight up from the head like the crown. The crown has a connection, apparently, to the, the, the different color. White on the service to others and black on the service to self. Does that look like a feather? Yeah, I I, I think that uh, um, Laird Scranton in his books was calling that a feather. I can't exactly remember what it means, though. See how both of the Ankhs, um, the Crooks on Sadas, are black? And Mike, didn't you say earlier that the loop on top represents the sort of endless cycle right. of time? Yeah. So I it's actually interesting have that. That, that's, that that's black and that, that you know time itself is a necessity to work through the darkness. Yeah. So the Crooks on Sata... Um is part of the concept complexes of the archetypical mind, the circle indicating the magic of the spirit, the cross indicating the nature of manifestation, which may only be valued by the losing. Thus, the crux sansara is intended to be seen as an image of the eternal in and through manifestation and beyond manifestation through the sacrifice and transformation of that which is manifest. Gosh, that's so much uh, symbolized by Jesus on the cross, the idea of sacrifice. What was the part about through the losing? Can you say that part again? I mean, they're talking here about sacrifice and transformation of that which is manifest. So maybe sacrifice is the losing that they're talking about, and the cross being perfectly symbolized then by Jesus as archetypally a perfect sacrifice concept. But then the circle on the top, it indicates the magic of the spirit intersected so it's an image of the eternal in and through manifestation and beyond manifestation through sacrifice and transformation of that which is manifest. Yeah, well, think about it. To make something manifest is to lose all other options. It's to make a choice. And now this one singular thing becomes at the cost of everything else that is or could be. Yeah. So that's well, I you, think that you, you have to subtract in order to create because you're subtracting from everything in order to create this one thing. Yeah, and I or think the subtraction the subtraction and the sacrifice that they're talking about in my mind is um your uh, falling from grace has such a negative connotation, but like your decision to individuate. To, to have the experience of the individual, you know, you fall from that, from that place of, well, everything's one. I know everything's one. Uh, everything's good. Let me go to the individual aspect. I think that might be what the, the, you know, um, 
the sacrifice is. So you gain appreciation. Um, you know, that's kind of, that exists in the, um, the Kabbalistic um, telling of evolution and consciousness in that the, um, the clee, which is the will to receive, initially receives everything, then denies everything, and then sort of vacillates, obviously back and forth through all of fractalization. But ultimately, its reascension is a doubling down on its will to receive now that it has an experience of of non-reception and that's what like sort of reinforces the you know the thing that was there originally the will to receive itself is claims itself in you know in truth because it's it's now had an experience of otherwise and this is the ultimate expression of free will and that's our choice we are given everything given the light and love of god and we can either take it or leave it and ultimately every choice that we make is that choice right there all right let's um let's continue on through the everything that don and ross said and then we'll see if we can go beyond that and i already started going on it trying to analyze the the pillars here uh, which is still fascinating to me that there could be a lot more in there that to process um but so uh, uh, Ra also said um the polarity of potentiator is there not for the matrix to choose it is there for the matrix to accept as given But but I guess that's distinguishing this archetype from something like an archetype of choice. Um, yeah, so the potentiator only produces the polarity that that it can based on your far seeingness, and if you're unconscious, you're not seeing the light almost at all, and so negative polarity or negative choices are probably the only thing, or can be the only thing made available if that's what you're your awareness is whereas if your awareness is on the light the potentiator is only going to produce things that create and extend that light yeah i'm to bring in more of the significator as well on there to see like where you're viewing the experience through yeah because and then the matrix to... just records it basically as a blank slate there with no actual biases or anything to it it just records it based on your views of it right yeah what you decide that it is so don continued and said in other words this particular illusion has polarity as its foundation which might be represented by the structural significance of these columns is this correct and i said this is correct so it's fascinating to think of the deep mind as being a structure and that's kind of what they talked about in session five with, and a polarized structure right which when makes they, sense because you've got the first stage which is all the light and you have the second stage which is almost the polar opposite that that's the the literal transition of the initial stage of consciousness full reception to full or as close to full denial as it as it can which creates a new type of light and they said in session five the mind must be open like a door the key is silence Within the door lies a hierarchical construction. You may liken unto geography and in some ways geometry, 
where the hierarchy is quite regular bearing interrelationships. So I assume that one of these interrelationships is obviously the service to self, service to other polarity choices that may be balanced between all of our experiences to some degree, that that, that other doorway is always there in the mind to go down there. Go down to choose one of the services? Or to to have an experience of seeing things in the opposite light. Okay. Yeah, you have to. In order for it to be free will, you have to be able to choose, yeah. you know, even this, what we've chosen. So the structure then makes more sense in this context. We have to have that structure for this potential. Yeah, and the figure, she is, uh, um, she's, she's, <clears throat> she's sitting, what's at the very bottom? Hold on, let me minimize our screens. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, she is fully within this realm. That is, she's sitting on a box. The box begins higher than the bottom of the pillars. The top of her head and the half moon on top of it ends before the top. So the pillars are larger than everything, everything she's sitting on, everything that is her, everything she's wearing, you know, sig signifying that everything is done within this realm on your plane of existence polarity is more fundamental than than potentially than potentiator i guess is what you're saying maybe we we're going inside of the structure with consciousness yeah, yeah like potentiator we, is within it yeah like the physical being you, you as the as the uh experiencer lives within this realm that is um ruled by polarity or you could say to become to become the unconscious is to become enmeshed inside of the structure yeah and it seems like the box and it represents more of our 3d physical illusion at that sense too so it would be more the unconscious mind so we have the unconscious which is not accessible directly in that 3d conscious realm there so she's sitting on top of it in that sense but it's just within reach but not quite visible i guess within our illusion in that sense but it is all part of consciousness though still yeah i don't know if i'm explaining that right but yeah yeah you harkening back to when they had the bird was in the box and the box was holding like what the what the box is representing that she's sitting on yeah exactly it's still that same yeah 3d physical illusion there that uh but now she's on top of it as being the unconscious mind that's not ah. directly involved in it right yeah, exactly. she, yeah. she has a veil and if you think about it if you were wearing a veil and looking at a you know a black column and a white column they would instantly become closer together in gray right and that you know that sort of is kind of telling that while the polarity exists within the potentiator we're not actually aware of that until we're aware of our own evolution yeah yeah and that's uh, again go back to what nathan's saying like she isn't in the box she is sitting on top of the box now and the veil that she's wearing is somewhat translucent you know like the the robe that she's got on clearly you can't see through but the veil she's got on Clearly, you can see through if you, you know, squint just the right way, look hard enough, i.e. if you are a seeker, if you're an adept student. 
So she would represent the unconscious mind, semi-permeable. Uh, she, she would represent the unconscious mind sitting on top of the, uh, parameters of the physical world. Almost like if you, if you sit in, in meditation, you can reach beyond the physical world because that box represented the physical world holding the bird in the previous one. So I now she's Ra, slightly outside of it. I think Ra spells that out a little bit more as being that yeah. it's just ever present. Maybe let's get into it. Let's, let's keep going through. Um, yeah, I think they talk about that. It seems to me that the drawings on each of these columns are identical, but that the left-hand column that is the one on the priestess's left hand has been shaded much darker, indicating that the events or the experiences may be identical in the incarnation, but may be approached and viewed and utilized with either polarity as the bias. Is this in any way correct? And Ross says this is correct. You will note also from the symbol denoting spirit and manifestation upon each pillar that the one infinite creator is no respecter of polarity, but offers itself in full to all. So the symbol denoting spirit and manifestation um, is that... I thought those were the wings. The wings, the wings yeah. above. That was yeah. at least my thought. Yeah. And I think I also pulled up um, discussion of the wings from the first uh, archetype where they said, all birds are indeed intended to suggest flight and messages and movement, and in some cases, protection. Um, the folded wing is intended to suggest that just as the matrix figure, the magician cannot act without reaching its winged spirit, so neither can the spirit fly, lest it be released into conscious manifestation and fructified thereby. So the opened up wing may be more relating to opportunity to take flight. And yeah, they said the position of the wings is what you have to note, but it could mean flight, messages, movement, and protection. And but but They're here they're clear though about saying it's identical experience, and it just depends on how you see it. Yep. That's yep. awareness. What was that last passage you were just at, Mike? I was just reading uh, 91.24. Okay. Pre- talking about the matrix of the mind. But that's going to be useful for, I think, a lot of the cards. The Oh, the, yeah. The, wings the, all the over wings. the place. Yeah. Um, so let's continue to the other symbols here. There seems to be a book on the priestess's lap, which is half hidden by the robe or material. Um, and then, well, I should maybe just read the answer first. They said that the, the book was not originated by Ra, and we ask you to release the volume from its stricter form. Your perceptions but are then it says you're, Yeah, then it says your perceptions are quite correct. So which, oh, the other one, the, the right maybe the shoulder. Other part. And, okay, yeah. Um, it would seem that this indicates the knowledge is available until the veil is lifted, but is not only hidden by the veil, but hidden partially by her very garment, which she must somehow move to become aware of the knowledge which she has available. So she must move the garment to become aware of the knowledge which she has available. That might be what he meant, he meant here by your perceptions are quite correct. The nature of the feminine principle of mind, which in Ra's suggestion was related specifically to what may be termed sanctified sexuality, is itself without addition the book which neither the feminine nor the male principle may use until the male principle has reached and penetrated in a symbolically sexual fashion the inner secrets of this feminine principle. 
All robes, in this case, indicating the outer garments of custom, shield these principles. Lastly, there is great dynamic tension, if you will, bet betwixt the matron and potentiator of the mind. So the the arch their archetypal male and female is that is that which reaches for the male and that which awaits the reaching is the female. And I have a female cat here waiting for my petting. Sanctified <laughs> <laughs> sexuality. So this this makes me think more of just back to the fundamental, you know, divine masculine and feminine, which is really positive and negative so-called, you know, energies or potentials and you know activation the will and then that which it wills Krish says semi-permeable another way they describe the veiling um so let's look at this again so the garment is only on the the right shoulder. I think they talk, talk about that a little bit too. Um, but yeah, the veiling represents there's more to be uncovered, I guess. Um, are there any parts of this picture that were not given by Ra? And then Ra said the astrological symbols offered or not given by Ross, so they they ignored the stars at the top of the card. Um, the fact that the priestess sits atop the rectangular box indicates to me the potentiator of the mind has dominance or is above and over the material illusion. Is this in any way correct? And Ross said, let us say rather that this figure is imminent, near at hand, shall we say, within all manifestation. The opportunities for the reaching to the potentiator are numerous. However, of itself, the potentiator does not enter manifestation. And this is what we were kind of talking about there. It's like when you're in the manifestation, you don't necessarily see or interact with the potentiator without actually reaching towards it, it seems, or it's not blatantly obvious in that illusion at that point. I see. What does enter manifestation? Would you say it's the body? Well, I think that's in form. I guess, but I think they're also saying that the consciousness can enter manifestation too. So I was thinking the conscious mind and then can go through to reach the unconscious and bring back into that conscious state, I guess. I guess they're still sitting atop the box in the catalyst and the experience, but the leg comes down in front of it here. I guess the legs are in front of it here too. The catalyst is coming from the unconscious mind as well, right? So it's something right. that comes down and interacts with it. So it would almost be outside of the illusion yet again, but just coming in to interact with it. Right. Gosh, the significator is... So the catalyst perhaps enters reality from the potentiator. Yeah, from the unconscious portion of the mind. Yeah, it says the potentiator itself doesn't enter reality, but... Or manifestation, I should say, but the catalyst is what manifests from the potentiator. I guess that would be one aspect of it. 
I mean, it does come. It's the third, right? Right after Tenshkater. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it may, it's interesting to me that the significator, now the man, it looks like he's standing inside of the box or a box. Or he's standing in front of it. Or no, he's sitting like the, the angle right there indicating the knees bent. Oh, you think he's sitting on top of it still? Yeah. The, 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 see the, the hinge on either side of the snake's head. Yeah. I think that means he's sitting. Yeah, I think so. Oh. Well, he's got tall legs then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the matrix wills and activates the catalyst from the potentiator. The experience ensues and the significator decides what it means. Or actually before experience even ensues, the significator came before that and just decided what was. And then the veiling happens. Then we have catalyst and experience. And now the significator is more granularly deciding what every little thing is i think we can get into that next month the catalyst right. and the and the experience more okay. and i'm yeah that'll be a whole other discussion i think um and then uh don continued asking about the crown which i think they may have simplified uh when they redrew it the redrawing may have taken it down to um, well, no, maybe not. Took Let's those see. saucers out, I think, or whatever those were. Yeah, they simplified it, so there's not quite as many layers to that image. They actually said that they didn't put the moon in, right? But they said that it was appropriate because it represents the feminine, and so I see. Um, so Don yeah. kept it in the drawing, the recreation yeah. drawing. The half moon on the crown represents the receptivity of the subconscious. Was his question. And Ross said, this symbol is not given by Ra, but it is not distasteful within your own culture. The moon um, represents the feminine, the sun, the masculine. Thusly, we accept this portion as a portion of the image, or it seems without significant distortion. Um, was the symbol on the front of the priestess's shirt given by Ra? And Ra said that crux on sada is the, sim is the correct symbol. The addition of the slight distortion of this symbol thereby is astrological and may re be released from its stricture, which is like another half moon thing. I see that now. Yeah. Would this crux on Sada? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's an Ankh too, yeah. So the Ankh, um, when I first learned about the Ankh being the 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 circle eternity and, and, and everything that it represents, life and all of this stuff, I always thought of... Um, like you know like think of jesus on the cross or think of any person standing with their outstretched arms you know if you stood with your heels together and your outstretched arms your head would be the circle and then your physical body you know would make up uh the ankh so it 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 shows you if you if you really and it's it's weird to say but if you think about it long enough you can get to the simplest version of what it is and that could just be you know, like the the human represents it. You know, the 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 mind being the metaphysical and the body being the physical, and then you you almost look like an ankh with a small circle if you stand that way. Yeah, and and it shows you to how like basic symbols can can elicit such complex um, concepts. Yeah. It's interesting that they 
they didn't really have a very perfect understanding of why the logos chose the bipedal erect form for the human, but this might also be related to it that we yep. look like that perfect harmonized or mathematically correct symbol. Well, yeah, they put emphasis on the the mathematics of it at some point. Um, mm -hmm. There are mathematical ratios within this image which may yield informative insights to one font of riddles. We're talking which about the, the Ankh? The correct, yeah, the Ankh. Yeah. So they say, we shall not untangle the riddle. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> this is pretty fascinating, but I, I assume you'd have to go to Egypt to get the exact dimensions of the crux Sada and make sure that you got you're getting it exactly as they intended. And maybe the exact mathematical ratio had some kind of meaning that I have no idea what that would be, though. Um, well, the, the the mathematical ratios are just it's when they say when you know uh, you you listen to mathematicians that know math so well that they they say that you can see God in math. The the like the golden ratio and um uh like you have you have pi and different mathematical things represented in, in your life um, your or in your, in your physical body yeah like you have twenty two holes and orifices on your head and and um or twenty two bones in your head and seven holes and twenty two divided by seven is three point one four and like your wrist to your hand. There's like 13 bones in the one and 14 in the other. So you, again, you get that 13, 14, 3.14. And th th like some, some of those crazy things that the mathematicians come up with just show you that, it, you know, at every level you can find inspiration to see the divine in everything. Yeah. Is that a spiral? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just threw that in there. Well, I mean, everything spirals. Where's this? Like they, oh. if you, if, when you see the uh, the Fibonacci in a plant when it grows, and the pine cone has the um, the spiraling layers around it, they they go up um, in the Fibonacci sequence. Oh, this must be the book they're talking about—the scroll. Yeah, uh, I think it's like the curled end of the scroll right unfolding yeah. there. Yeah, but still, the spiral definitely has those kind of connotations to it. Oh yeah. So they seem to have taken that out, I assume. It's, it's hard to see because it was kind of low resolution. Yeah, they just they just let the garment go a little bit more over her hand here. That's what they did. Garment goes yeah. down over her hand. And here it drapes down before it gets to the edge. But the scroll essentially is is just an extra emphasis on the the knowledge which is veiled. And there for the seeker. Yeah. I think we're getting close to the end of what Don had asked about here. Um, so would this crux sada then be indicating a sign of life or spirit enlivening matter? And Ross said, this is quite correct. Moreover, it illuminates a concept, which is a portion of the archetype, which has to do with the continuation of the consciousness, which is being potentiated in incarnation beyond incarnation. And what archetype is that? That's what I asked myself when I read that this morning. Well, I think it's right. You're still talking about the potentiator. 
the, a portion uh. of the potentiator has to do with the continuation of the consciousness which is being potentiated incarnation beyond incarnation yep. does that make into more of a time space sort of situation yeah there? i think of the indigo yeah. ray body in that you know thing that maintains us between lives yeah which would kind of make sense that being indigo rays the second level down from the top which the matrix and potentiator are as well on the tree of life so you've got Keter the crown and then you've got matrix and potentiator at the next level which is the third eye chakra so i guess in that regard that makes sense that will have to be a different discussion too i think that's I'm, I'm i'm excited for that discussion and i think that we'll we'll definitely get to that um and i think i'm ready to rethink the whole thing around the tree of life too um mm -hmm. um i mean i feel like to some degree the two sides of the tree of life are kind of represented by this the this these two columns even yeah mercy and severity yeah Um, so were the grapes depicted upon the cloth covering the shoulder of the priestess of Ra's communication? Yes. We have taken these grapes indicating the fertility of the subconscious mind. Is this correct? I am Ra. This is correct, O student, but note ye the function of the mantle. Uh, I assume that means the clothing. There, There is great protection given by the very character of potentiation. To bear fruit is a protected activity. And that is that is so huge. So, so th this is not just a veil, but it's protection and bearing fruit in the manner of our activity, I guess, in the use of the veiled mind is... Protected probably in that we can't pull potentials out that would destroy us. I mean, when I think of, you know, protection, it's like protection from what? Well, I mean, we have to have that that string, that line of light back to our truth somewhere. And so that's that that's that protection that's that's always there, because otherwise, without it, we could choose nothingness. <clears throat> we would cease to exist. I was thinking it was more of like a protection along the polarity path there so being of service to others versus service to self kind of a protection along there i guess versus what yeah. andrew i'm curious on your point there a little bit because it seems you still have the free will to choose i guess either direction there or to choose that destructive nature if you if up you so want up until mid sixth density and that's what this tells me is that ultimately the the path of light and truth is is the one that is um effective and um ultimately chosen so we're protected from choosing darkness and separation and nothingness in perpetuity we can only go up to mid-sixth density and then we switch to service to others i think i'm most agreeance with you there on it it just seems like it's there's protection i guess along that path of that service to others there whereas Along the other path, you have you can make all the same decisions on the service to self, but you just aren't protected from, say, the catalyst or some of the extreme um, situations that might arise. Yeah, I don't know that if you are choosing, if you're choosing 
the service to others, I don't know that you believe you need protection. You know yourself as safe. You it's know inherently as, as one. It's inherently part of it, though, right? On that path is what they're saying. Well, protection itself implies attack, and the concept of attack is is in itself impossible. And to conceive of attack is to attack the self. So, um, I suppose, insofar as the ego is attacking the self, this is protecting the overall um, oneness from the ego. Well, I, I feel that the there there's something in here about the the stability of an activity. I feel like an activity which is unprotected to me means an activity which is um, more capable of disintegrating. And this is also why I think that when they're talking about the experience of of um, of of mind, they they talked about protection from the gusts. Um, but they said you're not protected in an outward way. The seeker which has purely chosen the service to others path shall certainly not have a variant apparent incarnational experience. There is no outward shelter in your illusion from the gusts, flurries, and blizzards of quick and cruel catalyst. However, to the pure, all that is encountered speaks of the love and the light of the one infinite creator. The cruelest blow is seen with an ambiance of challenges offered and opportunities to come. Thusly, the great pitch of light, which is talking about the, the light in the fourth image here, on the on the on the service to others path he's holding up this light on that polarity the the great pitch of light is held high above such a one so that all interpretation may be seen to be protected by light so you're protecting your interpretation in the mind okay that ties together nicely then that's interesting so i think with with this concept of protection we're creating like a crystallized chakra that's not going to disintegrate into a wavering between the two polarities as much when you when you're bearing fruit you're maintaining the stability of the open heart and staying on that positive path huh. yeah to so your the point fruit Andrew, itself is the protection to, to, to your point Andrew are you saying like protection implies attack you know like Mike said, it, it could just be that it's protecting it from going away. You know, no attack needed. But if if you don't continue to teach somebody, you know, something, then it dies. It, it disappears into the ether. But it can't. Nothing can die and nothing can disappear. Well, your ability to bear fruit cannot disappear because it is protected. Like, Another that, I think that's what they're getting at. Oh, I, I want to find that. Um, was it the carry user? I want to find that that other great quote that I that was recommendation to Jim. Um, I think it's almost the 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 choice itself, the service to others is is what's protected. That it is always available, and I keep going back to this: we can't be lost forever. So the choice for to polarize to service to others is always available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like. It's there. It's inherent in the fact that if you have chosen to serve self, then it's it's inherent that there is another choice. It never dies. It's protected. It's always there. Right. But the other one is not necessarily. It's available as a as a choice, but it's not 
protected because it's unreal. It's a belief that you don't exist. Yeah, but your your ability to choose between the two is what I think they're saying is protected. Mm. Well, it does <laughs> seem that we have the ability to choose between the two. I think I'll skip what I was going to share there and we'll wrap this up with, um, and we're going to cover protection and a lot of other archetypes because of the wings. They said the wings that are covering over represent protection in different ways too, I think, um, such as the significator. I think they talked about protection from those wings, um, outstretched wings, which like taking flight, I guess a bird taking flight is in some way, um, more stable on its path. Um, but I think the ending of what I wanted to talk about here was on 33. The protection here seems to be depicted as being on the right-hand side, but not the left. Would this indicate greater protection on, for the positive path than the negative? And Ross said, you perceive correctly an inborn bias offering to the seeing eye and listening ear and listing ear. What is listing? Tilted to one side. <laughs> I don't. The, the word listing means many things, of course. Um, a selvage of a piece of fabric. What's a selvage? Uh, well, maybe I'll skip that word right now. <laughs> you perceive correctly an inborn bias offering to the seeing eye and listing ear information concerning the choice of the more efficient polarity. So they're talking about efficiency here. Yeah. So it, it seems that the choice is what's protected, the choice of that polarity specifically. Okay. Do I go down this rabbit hole of what listing is now? Unless I don't think I've ever noticed that either. I feel like my brain's always done the thing where you just listening, you see yeah. the word as listening and then yeah, well, you don't actually see it. Let's listen to, to Ross saying it while we look it up. Um, uh, share sound again. The protection here seems to be depicted as being on the right-hand side, but not the left. Will this indicate greater protection for the positive path than the negative? You perceive correctly and inborn bias offering to the seeing eye and listing here information concerning the choice of the more efficient polarity. Specified category, interesting. We would at this time as you may call it. I guess we can stop it there. But yeah, that's interesting um, that lists can mean to place oneself in a specified category. 
the ear that selects a category. Hmm. I don't know. That's that's speculation, but it could just be literally we're talking about listing the properties of the archetypes is why they call it listing. But the ear, the ear is so fascinating. They're saying the ear is listing. When I read that, I, I, I it just processed in my mind to mean uh, like how a ship can list, you know, off center line. And the listing ear to me just meant like somebody leaning towards one path as opposed to the other interesting yeah to tilt towards and I, and I never thought of it more than that like I, I was like oh yeah that's what it means and then i just kept reading <laughs> yeah that makes sense to tilt to one side of a boat or ship yeah tilt to one like, side in the state like a dog building. that's that's confused and trying to figure something out when it tilts its head to the yeah, side yeah all right <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, like, like, if, if, like if you're leaning the one side or the other, you know, like, uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you want for lunch? I'm leaning towards this, you know? Right. This is the inborn bias we're talking about. Yeah. We're being represented by two sides that you're swaying between. Yeah. To the seeing eye and listing ear. I love it, Nick. You win, you win that one. <laughs> <laughs> one down, four trillion to go. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So this, I think we've gone over two hours for this particular discussion. Um, and I, I just want to know if you guys see anything else about this figure that maybe is worthy of discussion now. Um, well, in the other one, uh, I, I've always thought of, because um, like, it looks like she's holding the scroll in that one. But in the other one, it looks like her hand is behind your back. And you know how when you're open, you put your hands behind your back. You're, you know, like if you're guarded, you you have your hands in front of you. You know what I mean? You're, you're guarding yourself some way. I mm. always looked at that body language as her being open. Mm -hmm. Just a side thought I always had. Interesting. She awaits the reaching. Yeah, exactly. Like she's she's ready. She's sitting in a um uh in a, in a in a like a ready for anything i guess open to all saying how many fingers am i holding behind my back <laughs> yeah that's the great mystery right <laughs> <laughs> one the answer is one <laughs> <laughs> they talk about the bare feet no they we're at the end of the symbols now i think i don't remember anything about bare feet or was that a different part of the archetypes though maybe i'm not sure if i remember it just kind of stood out to me i guess so like underneath it's bare and underneath all the protection or the clothing and all that nakedness or pureness maybe of of the creator can be found through the unconscious mind but that's just me spitballing I'm curious about the bottom of the columns too, and whether those are anthropomorphic, like a head on a torso, but then you know it's got stones on either side. Yeah, and then circles there, but it almost looks like a torso and a head. And then I don't know what the triangles pointing down would indicate. Well, that's not even really that visible in the other one, the revised one. Well. 
Well, Don didn't appear to ask Rob about oh yeah, no, they're kind of there. Yeah. yeah. I guess when in doubt they left it as the same. Yeah. As the original. But I have no idea, except that we're talking about the the circle and the previous image representing um well the sphere that they were in the redrawn one was a symbol of magical power or something like that you know the top of the columns are those lotus flowers that may be oh. I'm wondering if there's any correlation to chakras I guess Although you wouldn't have polarity at the very top because they said that that the godhead is without bias towards polarity or preference or whatever. I was just wondering if the very bottom would have indicate something about the root or well, I guess it's this is maybe representing structure. There's a the foundation is the exact same of the two polarities. Just reversed. Yeah, but I think that the the general sense of the 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 priestess being on the box confined within the world of polarity because they're on either side of her, and in this two dimensional picture, you know, they are holding her in. She is. She operates within that realm of polarity. Yeah, there's nothing outside of. Right, so there's Every, no top or bottom. Yeah, it, uh, it is it is the substrate of her world. It is one of the guiding rules, one of the primary coding. You know, so the top and the bottom, I don't think really represent too much, so much as the fact that they are they are on either side of her holding it, you know, they encompass her more or less. And that everything has an opposite, though until you get to the one infinite creator who has no preference toward polarity mm -hmm. not to not to draw it back to the top of the column but just generally speaking the potentiator itself exists on a scale of polarity but that's only because it's difference from the matrix and then you know above it is the creator itself yeah but i i think that that's like working outside of because if you're working within the potentiation of the mind um you know that's that's i don't know how to like say it. it's like not applicable it's like everything has an opposite everything that you could pull out of a potential except love and god yeah which are eternal pervasive and the only thing that actually exists there is no opposite of that though the ego would seek to try to make that manifest mm -hmm. so uh, yeah i do like that it's kind of like a flower that's not fully opened at the top it's almost like it's coming into bloom i'm gonna have to get off pretty soon here uh, the, it also right. looks like the hieroglyphs of the the lotus flower when they're on the on the walls of the pyramids and stuff and they're and they're handing the lotus flower to drink as a hallucinogenic drink it looks exactly like those little cups. Oh, wow. I'm drinking from polarity. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, or, or, or like that. I heard hallucinogens. <laughs> well, the the drinking of the lotus flower was the hallucinogen that they used. That, and I don't, I, I don't yeah. exactly remember, but I think it had like a DMT compound, and that that's you know like you escape polarity when you go into those realms. You go down to the root of it all. And I always saw that like that that cup is the lotus flower to escape out the top of the realm of polarity to indulge in the uh the journey of the hallucinogen hmm. interesting and then i i, I still want to ask about this thing coming out of the top of the head i wonder if that's representing the crown chakra in some way uh it does have different polarities um if that's if we're, if we're flying through our our reality in some way with that um with, through see. the kundalini let's see if i have uh quick access to this book yeah i think it was like the feather of ma'at if i remember right that symbol there was some egyptian thing nick would probably be a better source from his uh knowledge a lot of that egyptian yeah exactly I, I, it's right there it's like on the ah, tip of my tongue indeed. but i can't yeah you are correct it is mott yes you've got it, it. that uh yeah i cannot find these books but that specific yeah that specific uh image but that feather means something very specific so let's see if they uh her feather was the measure that determined whether the soul's Considered to reside in the heart That's of the it. departed world, yeah. of the of the departed. So, our feather was the measure of that determined whether the souls considered to reside in the heart of the departed would reach right. the so, paradise of the afterlife successfully. So, when Another, you died, they weighed your heart against the feather to see if you lived your life purely, uh, and that's the feather they weighed it against. Yeah. Yeah, that's the heart. That's the heart. So oh, you could see like if that feather, if the lightness of heart was represented in that feather and you kept that feather, i.e. the lightness of heart on top of mind throughout your whole life, then you would in theory live a good life. And at the end, you'd pass the, the test of the scales. It makes sense that the Kirkson Sada is present for that same reason, because it's sort of the marriage of the eternal cycle and that which is sacrificed and transformed. And at the end of a life, that's sort of when that's happening. So you've got the feather. Now, it does indicate a feather on both, though, which seems to indicate that both are legitimate paths for um, for harvest. And we know that they are. Yeah. Yeah especially within the density that we're in. So if this set of uh, images is specifically meant for creatures at our point in the journey, then it is definitely a possibility. Yeah. I'm going to have to find these books. I I've been looking for them. I guess they're in storage, but it's the way that this one guy interpreted the uh, hieroglyphs and he, he, he interprets it. I mean, intuitively, I think it's, it's pretty well. But who's to say whether you know anything is definitive with these interpretations? Pharaohs are often depicted with emblems of Mott to emphasize their roles in upholding the laws and righteousness. Mott was described as the daughter of Ra. Interesting. There's a female connection there. Hmm. 
Isn't Mott also the uh, the um, the 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 being that they said that the sky was or something like that? I've I gotta look it up. Well, I'm I'm very satisfied. We have a, a nice rabbit hole there too. Oh yeah, yeah. This was great <laughs> overtime, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Likewise. Thank yeah, you, guys. Thank you.